Lord, you are an amazing God. Uh, Lord, uh, your, create, your creativity knows no bounds. And Lord, uh, to think that you created all of this so that we could enjoy it. Uh, Lord, uh, and that, uh, Lord, we're sorry for the ways in which we have not been good stewards of this creation. Uh, but Lord, when we see the birds of the sky and the animals of the field, uh, Lord God, and when we remember that your eye is on the sparrow, uh, and that, uh, God, the lilies, uh, they don't neither toil nor spin. You take care of them. God, we're, re- we're reminded that your eye is on us and that we have nothing to worry about because our Heavenly Father cares for us. So thank you for this reminder. And as the sun shines down upon us, Lord God, as the beautiful warm weather, as the gorgeous lake, uh, Lord God, these beautiful animals, uh, Lord, we're reminded that you are a great creator. And that when you created this world, it was good. Uh, And that, Lord, uh, it's been our sin that has messed it up. Uh, But, Lord, your creation is so great that even our sin uh, cannot fully mar uh, the beauty of what you are up to. Now, Lord, as we have had this chance to see general revelation and your uh, heavens declaring the goodness of your name, we pray now, Lord, that as we get to open your word, the specific word that you have for us today, that just like Psalm 19 says, that we can hear your voice in creation and we can hear your voice in your word. I pray that through, in and through your word, you would speak to our hearts. Uh, Lord, we're ready and we want your spirit to impress upon us that which you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're doing a series together on living sacrifices. And just to kind of review for you where we've been, uh, we started by kind of uh, understanding a framework of sacrifice in the Bible in that there's essentially two groups of sacrifices. Those are associated with sin and those that are associated with thanksgiving. Jesus is our sin offering and we respond to what God has done for us in and through Jesus uh, with thanksgiving. And so we've been asking the question, okay, the essence of sacrifice is giving God something or to others, something that is costly. And this is God's love language, that if you want to tell God I love you, his love language is sacrifice. And so uh, we talked about how what God wants from us is our best, uh, not someone else's best, not stuff we don't have, but the things he's entrusted to us, the money, uh, the time, the energy, the effort, these are the things that when we give God our best, that's sacrifice, and he's pleased with that. We talked about the fact that God, uh, this was uh, last night, we talked about the fact that what God loves is a broken and contrite heart. He's not looking for people who never mess up. He understands that we're made out of the dust uh, of the earth and that we have a sinful nature that we've inherited from our parents and grandparents and ancestors. What he's looking for from us is in the face of our sin that after we receive the forgiveness of Jesus, we respond with a broken and contrite heart, that we give God the chance to create in us a clean and new heart. Well, during one of our breaks, I think it might have either been uh, uh, maybe on Monday, someone asked the question, what about the verse that says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice? And I said, what a great question. That's session number four. Uh, That's tonight. Hosea chapter six, verse six says, uh, you don't need to turn there. 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. This is a powerful verse. It shows up three times in the Bible. Now, when you look at this, what essentially God is saying is, I'm not really that interested in the ritualistic sacrificial system. We saw that in Psalm 51. David says, Look, the goal is not simply to get some sheep and some goats and sacrifice them on an altar or some grain uh, or some drink and give it to God as an offering. That's not really the goal. Psalm 51, the goal was a contrite heart. Hosea 6, what God is telling us is mercy. Mercy is the sacrifice that God is pleased with. And so I want to start with a little bit of an open discussion Why is mercy a sacrifice? Why is mercy costly? Why is mercy hard to do? What's that, John? You got it in your power to do otherwise. That's really, really difficult. It's really, really difficult when you could give somebody justice and you choose instead to give them mercy. That's hard. Great point. Why else is mercy a sacrifice? Why is mercy difficult? They don't, we don't deserve mercy. Our spouses don't deserve mercy. Our children don't deserve mercy. The people around us don't. Mercy is by definition not deserved, and that's hard. That's hard. Everything in us screams out for fairness. Man, I'm here with four kids. You can't even figure out what's fair anymore. Like, look, I'm trying to figure this out. We want fair, and mercy's not fair. Great point, thank you. What else, why else is mercy hard? Sometimes we don't receive it, and then we don't wanna give it to somebody else because we haven't received it. Great point. It's a very God-like activity. We're going to talk about that uh, and sort of see that tonight, and it's hard to do. This is what Satan wants to fight against. Uh, We talked about you've got an enemy who's a roaring lion who's trying to stop you. Well, God is about mercy, and Satan doesn't want mercy to happen. It's It's coming from someplace deep within, isn't it? Yeah, great point. Great point. Thanks, Mike. Any other reasons why it's hard to be merciful? That's right. Everything that we have been taught, everything that the world tells us, an eye for an eye, mercy is the exact opposite of that. Does mercy always work? It doesn't, does it? Mercy would be less costly if it worked every time. If every time you offered someone mercy, they responded with grace and with kindness. But it doesn't work that way, does it? That makes it hard too. So tonight, we want to talk about the sacrifice of mercy. Offering mercy. Now, of course, we don't offer mercy to God. So really what we're talking about tonight is the sacrifice of mercy as we offer it to spouses, to children, to family members, to co-workers, to friends. And what we're going to do is, like I said, this verse appears three times in the Bible, and we're just going to look at those three occurrences 
of this verse to make sure we get an understanding of what it's saying. So let's begin in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. This one I would like you to turn to if you have a Bible. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 9, as Jesus went on from there, so he's in Capernaum, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. So Matthew is the author of this. He's telling his own story here. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call the righteous, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So here's a situation where Jesus is having dinner at a tax collector's house, and all of the tax collectors and sinners are like, what a great opportunity to be able to hang out with this teacher. And so they flock to Matthew's house, who's essentially thrown a party because he wants to introduce all of his friends to Jesus. Well, Jesus goes to this tax collector's house, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, look at Jesus and they take a look at Matthew and the tax collectors and the sinners, and they think to themselves, why in the world would a prophet, that's what they think Jesus is only, be hanging out with such riffraff? And Jesus says, you don't understand the phrase, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And so he says, go and learn what it means. So here in Matthew chapter 9, what I desire mercy and not sacrifice means is Jesus is seeing the tax collectors and sinners differently than the way the Pharisees are seeing them. The Pharisees are seeing them as people who are far away from God, as people who have done things to displease God or alienate themselves from other people. But that's not how Jesus sees them. Jesus sees them as people who are in need. And the first thing of what it means that I desire mercy and not sacrifice is to see people the way that God sees them. This is not the natural way we see them. That's why Jesus says, go and learn what it means. It doesn't come naturally to us. We see tax collectors and sinners and we think tax collectors and sinners. When God sees them, he sees them as people in need, people who are broken, people who are in trouble. And so Jesus says, I've not come to help the healthy, but the sick. Now, if I was going to paraphrase that, what if I paraphrased it this way? It's not the popular who need a friend, but the social outcast or the person suffering. Is that a fair way to paraphrase what Jesus is saying? Maybe I should say it this way. 
It's not the people in the main herd, but the people in the loser herd. They're the one that need the friend, right? Isn't that what Jesus is saying? It's not the people that everybody wants to be around that need a friend. It's the people that no one want to be around. I told you just a smidgen about my dad. I mentioned him uh, last session. So I said he died about almost four years ago. He died of dementia, uh, which is a pretty miserable way to die. Uh, it was a long, slow, difficult process, seven, eight years from when you sort of first began to notice memory loss uh, until finally the Lord took him home. And it was interesting to watch sort of my parents' friends and how they interacted with my parents and with my dad uh, as he slowly drifted off into, uh, into darkness. Some of their friends uh, stayed away. It's hard when you see somebody with dementia, you're reminded of your own mortality, and trust me, it's a, it's a miserable thing. Uh, and nobody wants to think that that's a possibility. Some of their friends um, didn't hang out with them anymore because all of a sudden it was not as convenient. Because whereas my dad was a very active person, but he wasn't able anymore to go out and sort of go and do activities, and big crowds were overwhelming. And it got to the point where they, people just had to come to my parents' house and, and play simpler and simpler games. Um, and some people, that, wasn't, that didn't sort of fit into what they were doing. But there were other people. Other people who came alongside at that time. In fact, there was a couple family from the church. The people here from my church will know their names. Uh, Dane and Joyce and their daughter, Lily. Lily was uh, 9, 10, 11 at the time. And uh, they're younger family, obviously younger than my parents. And uh, once a week, they would show up at my parents' house and just hang out there. <clears throat> That's mercy. It's not the super popular that need a friend. Uh, it's the people who are suffering. Uh, it's the people in the loser herd. That's what Jesus is saying, is that when you see people the way God is seeing them, uh, you see them as broken. You see them as in pain. That's what I desire mercy, not sacrifice, looks like. How about this paraphrase? Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. How about this one? It's not the superstars at work who need a mentor, but those who are undisciplined and struggling. Is that a fair paraphrase? I was part of an organization that their sort of uh, mentality was, look for the best of the best, come alongside them and help them get a little better, uh, and then help them uh, move on to sort of the next stage, and then you get to be part of their story. These are superstars in training. And if you can invest some time and some energy and effort into them, they're going to go change the world, and you'll be part of helping them change the world. That's not what Jesus is saying here, is it? The people at work who need a mentor, the people who need someone to come alongside of them, someone to help them, they're the ones without the, without the discipline. They're the ones that aren't the budding superstars. They're the ones who are barely making it. They're the ones who might have so much stuff going on at home or might have so much stuff other places that they're not able to climb the ladder that sort of way. 
What does it mean to desire mercy and not sacrifice? Is to see people the way God sees them. The people who need the mentors are the ones who are struggling, not the ones who are basically there. How about this paraphrase? It's not the mature who need a parent, but the immature. If we view our children the way God views our children, they're immature. If we view them as these vehicles through which we can live out our lives or we expect from them absolute maturity, why would they need parents? God put them in our families because they're less mature. And so when they behave immaturely, Jesus says, see them the way God sees them. They are people who need someone to help them mature. And when you and I view our children the way God views them, we view them as immature people who need someone to help them grow up. What about this paraphrase? Now, this one may take the most uh, kind of work to kind of wrap your mind around. It's not the spiritually complete person who needs a spouse, but the incomplete person. Let me say that again. I want you to think about this. It's not the spiritually complete person who needs a spouse, but the one who is incomplete. According to the scriptures, singleness is the highest state. That's the ideal. Paul says, I wish that all people could be like me. Single in that sense. Jesus is single. But he also says, look, this is not something that lots of people can handle. Singleness for life for the kingdom. And so God has provided marriage. Marriage is a great blessing from God. But when we realize that, listen, if your spouse was just like Jesus, they wouldn't need to be married. You understand that? What that means is, is that when we view our spouses through the lens of I desire mercy and not sacrifice, we need to see them the way God sees them, which is as spiritually incomplete people who have problems, they have struggles. Your spouse may be a person who struggles with lust or with anger or with jealousy. Their, your spouse may be a person who's not, uh, doesn't have the strength to do the tasks that God wants them to do, is not yet spiritually mature enough for the person God wants them to be. And when you and I view our spouses the way God views our spouses, then we offer mercy and not sacrifice not some ritualistic system. You see, you may have married your spouse because they were intelligent or attractive or made you laugh or you had lots in common, and that's great. But that's not the reason why God had you marry that person. It's because your spouse needs you. It's because you can't be the person God wants you to be. I can't be the person God wanted me to be without my spouse. And when we begin to look at people 
the way God sees them. That's the first thing about I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Second time this phrase shows up in the scriptures, still in the Gospel of Matthew, turn over to Matthew chapter 12. first reason why mercy is such a sacrifice is because it takes a lot of work to see people the way that God sees them. Second reason, Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent." For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now there's a problem. If according to Matthew 9, you and I begin to see our spouses and our children and our co-workers and our neighbors the way God sees them, as broken people who are in need of someone to come along and help them, as sinners who are struggling or suffering their way through life, the problem is, our inclination might be, okay, I see them now the way God sees them. Now I get to fix them, right? And one of the temptations is to do what the Pharisees are doing here, which is to institute law to try to help fix and overcome the problems. That's what's going on in this story. The Pharisees are looking at Jesus' disciples and basically they're saying to Jesus, look, if you want to turn these guys into who they need to be turned into, we got to make sure that they follow every one of these rules and we got to make sure that they do it in the right way. And here Jesus is saying, look, if you understood what I desire mercy, not sacrifice means, you would understand that while law can be helpful, The absolute application of law brings death. What that means is, is that when you and I realize that our children are immature and God put us in their lives to help them mature, when we realize that our spouse is a person who is suffering and who needs things that God put us, the danger is to say, here's how we'll fix this. Get up every morning at six o'clock and pray without fail. Make sure uh, that you're at work every day at this time and that you always do these things. We institute in our kids this idea that if you follow these rules, then we will overcome the weaknesses that you have. Now, hear me rightly. The disciples are not wantonly abandoning the Sabbath. 
They're not out living however they feel like living. But Jesus is trying to make the point here. The senseless application of the law as law brings not life but death. Jesus says, look, sometimes it's necessary for people to do what the law says they're not supposed to do because life is more important than law. Now here's one of the many things that I'm grateful and realize it did take me some time to realize this was one of the reasons why God gave me a wife is because I do have some legalism in my background. I do have some sports in my background, which does tend to teach this exact same thing. I do have uh, a lot of time in academia, which teaches the exact same thing, which is basically work hard, meet these standards, and your life will go well. And I am grateful uh, that God gave me a wife that helped me and is helping me see the error of that way. I'm a person who has high standards that thinks you're going to fix this if we work hard enough at it, if we just get the right standards in place and we work hard enough at it, we're going to overcome these things. And Jesus says that's a problem. The second reason why mercy is so difficult is because on one hand, law is easy. And so is license, just letting people do whatever they feel like doing. To choose the middle ground meaning that we still want to have standards, we still want to try to overcome the weaknesses that we have in our life, but to do so in a non-legalistic way so that each and every situation has to be determined. Listen, we're not machines. We're not able to take out the trash every morning without fail, without ever forgetting. We're not able to wake up every morning excited about doing our Bible study. Our kids are not able to practice the piano every day without fail, with joy and excitement in our hearts. And when we apply legalistic, ritualistic rules that say we're going to drive this immaturity out of this child by making sure they practice every day without fail, Jesus says you've forgotten that at the heart of this is mercy. And that there are times as we are living life that life triumphs over law. It's easy to have no rules. It's easy to have legalistic rules. It's hard to have standards applied with mercy. Meaning that there are gonna be times that we fail. There are gonna be times when we can't meet the standard. There's gonna be times when we just We just don't have it in us. And Jesus says, learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I'm not looking for legalistic adherence to a set of rules. I'm looking for how standards can help bring life. The third place in which this verse shows up is one we've already seen. You don't need to turn there. It's in Hosea, chapter 6, verse 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, says the Lord, and acknowledgement of the Lord. Now, there's a problem in the book of Hosea. If you're not familiar with this story, the way it basically works is God's trying to teach a lesson and a principle about how much he loves the nation of Israel. And so he says to a prophet who's named Hosea, I want you to go and marry a prostitute. 
Her name's Gomer. Now, again, if you recoil a little at this when you hear this, I'm sure he recoiled at it when he heard it for the first time. God said, yes, go and marry a prostitute named Gomer. And so Jose obeys. He goes and marries a prostitute named Gomer. No surprise. At some point, she's unfaithful to him. She leaves him and goes away, and God, after a period of time, after making Gomer's life difficult, after she begins to suffer for her sinful choices, says to Hosea, go get her. Go get her. Go rescue her out of the pit that she's thrown herself into. And so Hosea goes and initiates forgiveness and reconciliation with this wife who has been unfaithful to him. And God says, look, that's a, that's a picture of what I'm doing with Israel. And he's trying to say to the nation of Israel, I married you. You were not the bell of the ball. <laughs> I married you out of the goodness of my heart, and you've chosen to be unfaithful. You're going off in all these other directions, pursuing all these other things that are not really God, being unfaithful to me, and you've gotten yourself into a terrible mess. But God says, but I'm still pursuing you. I'm still seeking reconciliation. I'm still coming after you. And it's in that context that God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Because here's the problem. If we begin to see people the way that God sees them as sinners who are broken, who are suffering and struggling in this world, and if we refuse to legalistically apply rules to those same people, one of the things that's going to result is they're going to sin. And they're going to sin against us. And the third thing that I desire mercy, not sacrifice, is calling us to do is when that happens, to choose to forgive, to choose to pursue that sinful, broken person and to seek reconciliation with them. That's what I desire mercy, not sacrifice means. When we see people the way God sees them, we recognize we are surrounded by and are ourselves sinful and broken people. And we recognize that the law is powerless to drive that sin from us. And so there will be times when those that we are trying to show mercy to will sin against us. And God says, if you want to really know what I want, if you want to really know what my love language is, if you want to really be like me, when that happens, go pursue that person again. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love keeps no record of wrongs. God says, if you really want to understand, if you want to give me the gift that I most want, See people the way that I see them. Broken sinners who are struggling to make it through this life. See them not as machines that you apply the law to and expect zero tolerance on failure. Don't do that. And when they do sin against you, forgive them. See, it's no accident that we've been in Matthew's gospel 
for our two New Testament uses of that phrase. Matthew's also the gospel that says, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Matthew is also the gospel, the only gospel that contains the story of the unmerciful servant, where the king is merciful and forgives a great debt on the part of one of his servants, and the servant turns around and finds someone who owes him just a little bit and refuses to forgive that debt. Matthew's whole point is, listen, if you understand the heart of who God is, what he most wants is mercy. Not mercy towards him, he doesn't need the mercy. Mercy towards those around us, towards our spouses, towards our children, towards our friends, towards our coworkers, towards our family. Listen, I'd love to stand up here and tell you, choose mercy, it always works. It doesn't. I'd love to stand up here and tell you, choose mercy, it's easy. It's not, it's brutally difficult. It's incredibly costly. So what I'm going to stand up here and tell you, why should you choose mercy? Listen to the verse very carefully again. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Who's speaking? Who's the I? It's God. Why do we choose to be merciful? Because it's a present we get to give to God. That as he has been merciful to us, we get to offer back to him his love language, which is something that is incredibly costly to us. We get to turn around and be merciful to the people around us. Now it takes work. That's why Jesus says, go and learn what it means. <laughs> because everything in this world, we talked about that in the beginning, everything in this world trains us and teaches us to view people on outward appearance, what they have to offer, to think of people as machines that you can simply apply a set of rules to and make them turn out the way you want them to turn out, to apply them to people that they have no right to sin against us or to wrong us. And God said, look, if you're ever thankful for what I did for you, if you ever wake up one morning and say, I just want to give God something that's going to put a huge smile on his face, if you ever say just one day, look, I, I just want to do something for God to tell him I love him, God said, go be merciful. <laughs> give me the gift of mercy. Take the spouse, the child, the coworker, the family member, the friend that I love and choose to look at them not the way the world looks at them, but as a broken, sinful, struggling person. Not a widget to be put through a mechanical process to transform into something else but a person who's probably going to sin against you and probably going to hurt you. And you're probably going to have to forgive over and over and over again. Jesus says, when you do that, that's the best present you can give me. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, we don't know what it means to choose mercy. Teach us. Help us to understand. Lord, give us eyes of faith to see the people around us the way that you see them. Lord, where, we would, be, where would we be if you treated us the way our sins deserved? But Lord, how quick we are to turn around and treat others the way their sins deserve. God, help us. We want to be merciful people. Father, doesn't, don't you cause the rain to fall on the innocent and the guilty alike? We want to be like you, Father, but we can't. It's too much for us. It's too hard. And so by the power of your Spirit, would you create in us a merciful heart? Lord, would you give us merciful eyes? Lord God, I pray and ask, Father, that you would help us to view our spouses and our children and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors and friends with mercy. Uh, Lord, this is not my strength. Uh, and so I'm not up here to tell these people, do it the way I do it. Lord, I'm simply up here to tell them what you've said in your word. And so, Lord, you have to be their teacher. My job simply to point them to you. And so, Jesus, most merciful and most kind, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and faithfulness, maintaining love for a thousand generations. Father, you teach us to be merciful. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I got an assignment before you before you leave. It's a simple question. Who in your life needs mercy from you?